Well, good morning, family. It's so good to see you guys here. we got the teenagers in here as well. Good to have you guys. Today we're going to be talking about wisdom. So look at this picture here. This is a picture of the Supreme Court. I cut off Ruth Ginsburg. I'm sorry about that, Ruth. And uh, we got Clarence Thomas and Anton uh, Scalia. They don't seem very happy to have their picture taken. <laughs> Well, of course, the idea of the Supreme Court is to be filled with people with wisdom who can interpret the Constitution. And uh, as many of you know, they're going to be coming down with a decision on legalizing gay marriage in this month, probably later this month. And most people think that they will legalize it. A couple of things I want to say is, first of all, that we're all sinners, and God loves sinners, <laughs> no, matter, no matter what type of sin it is. Uh, we, I've, I've worked with people who struggled in this area, and uh, I've talked to Christ followers who have those desires, but choose not to fulfill them because, of course, the Bible says uh, that it's wrong. That it's not healthy. And I empathize so much uh, with the struggle that they have. But at the same time, the Bible's pretty clear about it. So we ask ourselves how can the Supreme Court make that kind of decision? How can these wise guys uh, and gal <laughs> come up with something like that? Well, we know, I don't think any of them are Christ followers, uh, and uh, that they're dealing with earthly wisdom. They're not looking at God's wisdom in this area. And I, I would just encourage you to pray. Pray for a miracle. Pray that God would turn the hearts of these justices uh, toward him and toward true wisdom. Wisdom is so important in life. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this. What's your view of God? Is, is your view, God is here to serve me. He's here to make me happy. He's here to take care of my needs and give me the life I want. Or, I am here to serve God. Or, there is no God. Three different views you can take. And of course, the godly wisdom view is I am here to serve God. God is not here uh, to serve me. Uh, you'll hear some uh, teachers on TV who, who kind of give you that vibe. That God is here to make your life better. God is here to serve you. God is here, you know to meet all your needs. <laughs> they don't talk about the flip side of things, of course, the other areas of the Christian life. It's always hopeful and positive, and, and that can be encouraging. But friends, you've got to teach the whole counsel of Scripture. And, and when you give the impression that God is there to serve you, that is really wrong, because He's not. He's not at all. 
The second question I want you to ask is how do you view yourself? Do you view yourself as a center of the universe? You probably wouldn't admit that, but <laughs> but a lot of people do, and we all struggle with it. It's all about us as a creation of God or as a creation of God to serve Him and glorify Him. Now that's godly wisdom. Let's look at it again. Earthly wisdom, I am the center of the universe. I want to control everything and have a life that fulfills my desires. In godly wisdom, God is God. I want to submit to Him as Lord and live the life He desires for me. Now, this is so critical to understand your view of God and your view of your purpose in life is just the foundation on which your life is built upon. Now, of course, non-Christians don't know the truth about God, and therefore they just default to, okay, I'm going to do everything for myself and that type of thing. Uh, but the fact is, is that God is all about God. God has always been eternity past and will always be eternity future. And at some point he decided that he would create this world and that he would create creatures like us, human beings, who are made in his image in order that we might glorify him. That's the main reason we're on earth, to bring glory to God, to testify, to, to live lives that reflect Jesus Christ. That is what life is about. Now, if you understand that, that everything is about giving glory to God. And some people say, well, that's kind of selfish. He's God, okay? <laughs> that's the nature of it. And so what he did is he designed a world in a certain way. And He designed us in a certain way. And if we follow His wisdom in living our lives, we are going to experience much joy and satisfaction in life. Because we're His creatures, we're here to glorify Him, but of course He blesses us and loves us and, and takes care of us. Now, that, that really is something you have to think about in your mind. Uh, I mean, as you go throughout your day, are you saying the reason I'm on this earth is to glorify God? Well, typically we have to be reminded of that, right? On a regular basis, that we're not the center of the universe or anything of that nature. We look at Proverbs 1 7, which is just a key verse when it comes uh, to uh, wisdom. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It always puzzles people. Am I to fear God? Well, in a sense, you are. In fact, what I believe is being talked about here is when a person understands that God is God and I am here to glorify Him. He is my Lord. That's what it means to fear God, to put God in the proper place. Now, he's not here just to, to meet your needs. No, no, no. I mean, he promises to do that, but He is here primarily to be glorified. And that's the way life should work. And 
We, we get our lives so out of whack, our relationships are messed up because we think that it's all about us. So we have to come back to the foundation. And heavenly wisdom says God is for God. And He created us in order that we might glorify Him. Well, let's look at James 3, 13 through 18 as we continue in our study. And James, who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, as we've gone through this series, James is a book that is specifically written for Christ followers, people who have made that decision to accept Jesus Christ, uh, work on the cross in order that their sins might be forgiven, and He paid the sins so that they might go and uh, live with Him throughout this life and into eternity. So it, it's written for those of us who are Christ followers, and it's a, it's a test of our faith. It's kind of like a spiritual checkup. The whole book is a spiritual checkup. It's like an MRI. And James, is, James is not going to let you dance with your spiritual language <laughs> and the other things that we do to seem more spiritual. I mean, he just he, he comes out hidden, and he keeps hidden. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that convicts us. And so I think every year you need to go through the book of James and do a spiritual checkup and just say, hey, am I doing that? Am I doing that? Am I doing that? It's not about just doing stuff when you're doing things that are talked about here in James, that means you're walking with Christ. And Christ is just flowing through you uh, so naturally. So, uh, we talked about last week the tongue. That was a test, right? I mean, if you're really a Christ follower, what should be coming out of your heart are all wonderful and beautiful things. We know, of course, we're not perfect and Sometimes we slip into using our tongue, tongues for gossip and anger and slander and things like that. So that was the test. How are you using your tongue? We started out the book with how are you responding to trials? Are you seeing them as an opportunity to grow, to be more mature in Christ? That is the right response. To rejoice in your trials. And today we're going to look at wisdom. So we look at James 3.13. It says, Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So he asks a question. Who is wise in understanding among you? Is it because of the number of Bible verses that you've learned? Is it the number of times you've, you've read the Bible? Is that what? What makes you wise is the fact that you've been a Christian since you were an infant. You know, that's not possible, but Christian since maybe you were four or five, when you can understand uh, the gospel. Does that mean you're spiritually wise? What does he say? How do you know somebody's spiritually wise? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. <laughs> James says, show me. Okay? That's all he says. Every, every test. Show me. Show me what you got. 
I, I don't want to hear you spouting stuff off. I want to see it in your life. I want to see it in the way that you walk from day to day that you have good conduct, that you live in a way that God desires, and that you naturally produce these wonderful works, these wonderful things that you do for other people in order to serve them. Now, now that's a person who's wise. Wisdom, then, is not what I know. Wisdom is how I live. So, that's what we're doing today, is taking a look at how we live. And are we making decisions based on reality, the fact that God is God and we're here to glorify Him? Or are we making decisions based upon it's our life and uh, we're going to do what we want with it? You've got to remember that wisdom is not knowledge. You can have all the knowledge you want and still not be spiritually wise. I mean, there's more, there's more evidence than ever that if you smoke, you're going to get lung cancer. It's very, <laughs> but people still smoke, right? And I can understand that. There's all kinds of things we struggle with and uh, but, but we need to let the power of Christ work in our lives to help us overcome a, an addiction like that. Education does not help us. But wisdom is a supernatural application of God's Word that transforms lives. Let me say it again. Wisdom is the supernatural. Not the natural, but God has to be involved. Supernatural application of God's Word, wisdom is found here, that transforms lives. So as you grow as a Christ follower, step by step by step, again, it's going to be reflected in the way you live, the decisions that you make. We look at uh, James 3.14. But, now I personally doesn't talk about earthly wisdom, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Because that's all earthly wisdom. Bitter jealousy, bitter meaning undrinkable water, you don't know what jealousy is, and selfish ambition, that everything's about me in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. Do you realize that most people are miserable? Do you realize that? You don't think that because they don't tell you, I'm miserable. <laughs> what do they do? They boast about their lives. Uh, you know, they put a nice portrait on Facebook and things of that nature. You know, uh, The idea is, is that we're not to boast about the fact that uh, we're having such a great life. Because when it comes right down to it, there's an emptiness, but people don't want to admit to that because that would mean that their life is not working. Uh, this is also seen in selfish ambition. Uh, I came across a study by UCLA, and they analyzed the values of, of uh, Priorities in popular TV shows that preteens watch. So it was a preteen study. What do preteens like to watch? And they compared shows over a 70-year period. And so you've got like Andy Griffith and the Lucy Show uh, back in the 60s and 
Laverne and Shirley, happy days in the 70s, and more of late, uh, American Idol and Hannah Montana. Uh, so the number one value of recent popular TV shows for preteens was fame. That was the number one value. In contrast, from 1967 to 1997, the number one value was community feeling or being part of a group. In 2007, community feeling had dropped to 11th place. I'm not interested in community feelings. I like Andy Griffith. Uh, in 2007, the number two value from 1997, benevolence or being kind to others and helping them had fallen from second to 13th. Oh, my. The value of tradition, which was ranked fourth in 1997, has dropped to 15th place in the 2007 study. In fact, one of the researchers, you'll see in this next slide, said, I was shocked, especially by the dramatic changes in the last 10 years. I thought fame would be important, but did not expect as drastic an increase or such a dramatic decrease in other values, such as community feeling. If you believe that television reflects the culture as I do, then American culture has changed drastically. And another researcher says, the rise of fame in preteen television may be one influence in the documented rise of narcissism in our culture. Preteens are at the age when they want to be popular, just like the famous teenagers they see on TV and the Internet. As I was reflecting upon that, I've been around the block, and there has been just an incredible change. In the last 15 years, on, on all different kinds of levels, massive change within our culture and what's on TV and what's being valued. Yeah, it really is true. And that's why it's so important for you teenagers and for parents of kids to do everything you can to teach them the wisdom of God and how God views the world. Because again, as you know, every day they're inundated by the values of the world, the wisdom of the world. And you've got to keep countering it. It's a spiritual battle going on. Satan doesn't want your kids to grow up and serve God. He wants them basically just to be distracted. And, you know, in church, uh, it's just a sideline, but I'm going to live my life. That's what Satan loves. Because if they are Christ followers, it keeps them out of the, the action, one might say. And that's why all parents need to take those teachable moments. Uh, again, even go home today and discuss this message and, and review with them. Even if they're small, just, just kind of frame up what the true reality is. That God is God and we are here to glorify Him. And you need to keep, continue to tell them because you know that all of us need to continue to hear it continually because we always kind of slide into the fault of everything's about me. But we always have to continually read God's Word and talk to other Christ followers to recalibrate us 
to realize, no, I'm here to glorify God. You know, it's interesting when you think about uh, teens these days. They're tough years. They really are. And trying to figure out, you know, who are you? Who am I? That really is the question on every teenager's mind as they start to develop and move toward adulthood. Who am I? Who am I? Well, the world teaches them that they came from some type of primordial soup uh, through evolution. And so they're just kind of here by accident. <laughs> Isn't that inspiring, huh? They're here by I'm just here by accident. <laughs> and then they, they have no idea about the afterlife. That's just oblivion. And right now, how are they going to live their lives? Well, you can understand the reason for teenage depression and suicide rates because the world does not offer them a purpose that will work. Well, it promises them a lot of things. It promises them all kinds of stuff that look wonderful, and, uh, but, but, but kids are getting smarter because <laughs> they've seen their parents go through it, and they say, yeah, they try to get happy that way, and, and that's why there's this feeling of, I have no purpose. And again, and when we talk about uh, how, a tr- how a teenage teenager develops, uh, again, if you don't offer them a purpose, if you don't tell them what the reality is, that's why I'm so thankful for Pastor Justin and all the staff that work with him, volunteer staff, in helping these kids, remind them over and over and over again. And again, I always encourage, you know, you know make church a priority. Because your kids need to be here to see what Christians look like and to experience the family and experience the youth group because we are in a battle. And you are to protect your kids. So you're to teach them at home and you bring them to church in order to protect them from Satan's attacks. Now we look at the the whole area of uh, uh, bitter jealousy. Bitter jealousy. Uh, that, that is something that we can easily fall into as well. In fact, I came across a story this past week of a guy named Carl Erickson. And when he was back in high school, he was into sports, and there was another guy named Norm Johnson who was, you know, kind of like superstar. And what Norm Johnson did one day to Carl Erickson is that he pulled a jock strap over his head in the high school locker room. That's where it all started. Now, years went by. And it seemed to Carl that Norm always had the upper hand. Life was better for him. Things were were the best, and he was always getting the leftovers. But one day when he was 73 years old, he went to Norm's house. Carl did. And... Uh, Norm opened the door, and he shot him in the head. Oh. What is that all about? That's all, that's all about how deceitful and, and envious and messed up our hearts are. Right? 
See, as a Christ follower, you need to be constantly tending the garden of your heart because that's where everything flows from. Anybody plant a garden yet? Anybody got gardens out there? All right. And you know you're going to have to weed them, right? Because if you don't weed them, the weeds are going to uh, hamper the growth of your crops or whatever you're doing with your garden. Yeah. And so what happens with Christ followers is we get this seed of resentment in our hearts or other types of sins. And we think, oh, it's just a little thought. It's no big deal. But friends, Satan can use that to ramp things up in order to cause you pain and other people pain. Because again, uh, you hold on to that grudge or or whatever it might be. You don't change the way you think about things. So, again, it's all about the mind. You know, what are we putting in our hearts and what are we valuing? Now, let me explain to you how we have uh, problems uh, when we're not operating on God's wisdom. So, if you're a Christ follower or not a Christ follower and you just do the natural thing one might say, is you assume that this world was made for you. You're just passing through, but you're going to make the best of it, right? And so what you do is everything is about you. And therefore, you start making all these plans, and you're setting up all these expectations, and you think most of the time about yourself. You know, and how is my life going to get better? How am I going to solve that problem? How am I going to find a wife or a husband, uh, you know, what am I going to do with my life? But it's a total self-centeredness, okay? And so you've got somebody like this, and they've got their little world, all right? Well, the challenge is, for example, uh, when you get married, you get married to another person with their little world. (laughs) And the worlds don't match sometimes. You know why we have a 50% divorce Right? They have selfish ambition, right? I mean, they say, hey, you know, you don't fit anymore in my plan. Now, of course, the godly way when you get married is to make one world that's ruled by God. That will give you the wisdom to carry you through the many years and seasons of marriage. But again, this... This applies to uh, homes, right? Whenever you see a, uh, a family uh, that is struggling and in disorder, you know that everybody has their world. And <laughs> you probably see it in your family, right? We all have our different worlds. Where are you going to go out to eat? That can be a big argument right there. <laughs> right? The idea is, is that we have got to drop our world. And we've just got to submit to God and say, Lord, please guide me. My goal is to glorify you. My goal is to uh, bring you praise. James 3.15 says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. What's the wisdom that comes down from above? Well, that's from God, like we read in James 1.5. If any lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously... I mean, that's the thing is God wants to give us this wisdom generally, uh, generously, that is. 
so, so this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So, first of all, it's earthly. Again, Satan is the king of this world, and he has designed cultures in such a way that, again, people could not, of course, want to respond to God. He, he, he builds cultures in a way that people want to make their little worlds, and they want to achieve what they want to achieve. And therefore, that creates a lot of disorder and a lot of problems because people keep coming into conflict because they feel that their desires are much more important than another person's desires. It's unspiritual or fleshly, this world, this world's wisdom. The idea that it comes from our flesh, our sinful nature, our desire to serve ourselves, and it's demonic. It's demonic. We have a spiritual battle that we're fighting, and we always have to remind ourselves of that because so easily we forget. We need to be praying for our children. We need to be praying for our spouse and our friends that they would be protected from Satan's temptations and Satan's influences. Because, again, we've all seen people who have made bad choices. They've sinned, and it's caused so much pain. So pray. Pray over those you care about in order that they might not be sucked in to Satan's world and, and his uh, temptations. James 3.16 where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So, where you have the world's wisdom, jealousy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder and every vile practice. That practice, uh, the root of that is pragma, uh, for pragmatic, and that's, hey, if there are no absolutes, you're going to live pragmatically, right? Whatever works for you. And it's going to be evil. Laura and I, when we were up in Wisconsin starting a church there in Nina, uh, we'd watch the Appleton News, and we'd come from Chicago. And there wasn't a lot of crime up there in Appleton. And so it was quite different from the Chicago News. I was just thinking about that the other day when I was watching the Chicago News. I mean, one terrible story after terrible story after terrible story about people sinning people killing people, raping people, whatever. And that's why our country is like this. It's because they're going on earthly wisdom. And earthly wisdom says, well, if there's not a God, I'm just going to get what I want to get. And I don't care how it impacts other people. So again, every vile practice, whenever you, does anybody have disorder in the workplace? Of course you do. Everybody does, right? Even when you work with a bunch of Christians, you can have disorder in the workplace because they're operating on earthly wisdom. And hopefully, you're setting the standard by living in a way that glorifies God and raises uh, the importance uh, of godly wisdom. It's interesting that Claire Sheridan, journalist for the New York World, once interviewed Mussolini, the Italian dictator. Uh, what she remembered particularly was Mussolini's parting advice on what it took to succeed in life. And this is what he said. Above all, keep your heart a desert. 
Keep your heart a desert. Don't have any garden. Don't believe in God. Don't love anybody. Don't care anybody. And he was a desert. Obviously, he was demon-possessed in order to kill that many people. So that, that's just an encouragement to us that we've got to keep our heart uh, in, I mean, in cultivating that garden, uh, growing that garden through prayer and, and study of the Word and fellowship with other Christians, and keep it strong and keep uh, pulling uh, the weeds. Now, he's talked all about earthly wisdom. Now he's making that transition to heavenly wisdom. But the wisdom from above. Now, what I want you to do uh, this week uh, is sit down with this passage, James 3, 13 through 18, and say, okay, Lord, this is the way you want me to live. So what is the one thing you want me to work on? What is the one thing you want me to really trust in you for and ask for your power to change a certain habit or, or pattern in my life or in my thinking? But the wisdom from above is first pure. Pure. And that's kind of like uh, holy. It's like the king of <laughs> the characteristics of God. Purity sums up everything. We, as Christ followers, should be seeking to be pure in all that we do. We should have holy hands that we can lift uh, to the Lord. And, of course, we're going to keep pulling those weeds out of the garden in order that that might be possible. So purity is so important. And peaceable. Peaceable. Are you a peaceable person? Are you a person who, uh, at your home and at your work and other environments, are you the one that's trying to bring peace to a situation when there's conflict and uh, when there are issues? Yeah, I mean, you still can uh, speak strongly about your opinions, but are you peaceable? Are you seeking peace? And some of us can get pretty riled up when we're not getting what we want and angry. Uh, but again, that's not being peaceable. So maybe that's what God is calling you to do. Again, you need to be serving other people. And that is trying to uh, bring peace. A gentle. Are you gentle? Are you gentle with your spouse? Are you gentle with your kids? Are you gentle with your friends? Well, again, God is the only one who can empower you to be gentle. But maybe that's one area where you're weak and you need to really focus on that. Open to reason. Open to reason. That is godly wisdom. What that means is to yield. So it talks about uh, how you know, children should be submissive to their parents and, and we should be submissive to the law. But it also has the idea that when we come into a discussion about a plan, an idea, whatever the case might be, is that we should walk in with our opinion but not our mind made up. You know how those things go, right? When somebody has their mind made up, this is the way it's going to be. Well, that creates a lot of conflict. But, but, but if you're filled with heavenly wisdom, you're going to go to any type of meeting that could uh, cause some conflict. 
and, and try to be open to what other people are saying. Just think, hey, my way is the best way. I don't want to hear anything else. That is earthly wisdom. But being open and teachable is heavenly wisdom. Full of mercy. Full of mercy. How have you showed compassion? This past week I was talking with a friend out here, and uh, he said that there was a, uh, a neighbor uh, of his that didn't have rent for the next month. And so he paid it. He paid the rent. Now, that's exactly what godly wisdom is all about. Sacrificing for other people. Helping them in their time of suffering. And good fruits. Good fruits. The idea that, you know, we produce fruit. And that's the, I just get so excited about that in the Christian life is that if I'm seeing God as God and I'm a servant of God, glorifying God, that God can use me through my spiritual gifts and, and through he's, who He's made me to bless other people. What a, what, a, what a gift to bless other people, to pour God's grace into other people. Impartial, remember we talked about favoritism? Uh, that was one of the tests in James. And sincere, not hypocritical. Well, think about those and say, okay, uh, which one of those do I need more of? Well, we, we need more of all of them, of course. You're constantly growing in these areas. But again, ask the Spirit to point one thing out to you. Uh, we look at James 3.18. And, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So that's the byproduct here, okay? As we continue to grow, to be more holy, as we... Continue to, you know, take biblical wisdom into our lives and let the Holy Spirit use that to create these beautiful things uh, in our lives. The ultimate outcome will be, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So as you ask the Lord uh, to do these things in your life, You'll have a harvest of righteousness. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So it's kind of the idea that the more you do it, the bigger it gets. You keep sowing it and reaping it and sowing it and reaping it. And friends, this can change your whole family life. If you make a commitment and say, wow, you know, I'm kind of off target here in a couple of different things, and, and I'm just going to serve my family. I'm going to serve my family because God tells me I need to care for them. And I want to create as, in, as much peace in my family that is possible. <laughs> You're raising kids. <laughs> a little bit of a challenge, but uh, you still can do it in a peaceable way. Uh, Stephen Colbert, uh, the great theologian, <laughs> No, he said that it's in a commencement speech. After I graduated from Northwestern, I moved to Chicago and did improv. Now, there are very few, few rules about improvisation. But one of the things I was taught early on is that you are not the most important person in the scene. Everybody else is. 
And if they are the most important people in the scene, you will naturally pay attention to them and serve them. So hopefully, to them, you're the most important person, and they will serve you. No one is leading an improv. You're all following the follower and serving the servant. Now, he nailed it, right? Our desire is that we're not the most important person in the scene. We're not the most important in this situation, not the most important in this situation. We're there to serve the other people. And as you continue to grow in that orientation, uh, you'll be a peacemaker. And you'll see these things growing out of your lives. I think we have our ushers, uh, not our ushers, but our prayer team come forward at this time. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this wonderful passage. Sometimes we skip over these passages and because it's so common and familiar, but these are the passages that we really need to sit down and meditate upon and let your Holy Spirit speak to us about what you want to do to mature us in these different areas. Lord, we pray for our world. We're here as a church in order to tell people the good news, that God is God and we're here to glorify Him That's the way He designed life, and when you live life that way, uh, you're going to find true satisfaction. Lord, thank You that You're so patient with us. You're so forgiving. Uh, You are a great God. In Christ's name, amen.